Welcome to the eighth installment of our Startups of NRF series. Chris Georgian, founder and chief architect of Topol, joins me to talk about the impact technology economy. Topol is an impact-focused ESG-first company that helps corporations track, tokenize, and transact positive impact. Founded in 2017 upon the premise that our current economic system can improve and become fairer and more equitable, and that ethical, social, and sustainable concerns should be central to, to business and policy decisions. Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. Excited to uh, be speaking about the journey a little bit with you. Fantastic. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your company and, and, and what you're doing and unpack your story for us. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I identify pretty strongly as an entrepreneur and a technologist by persuasion, in particular, the space that topples in is we really sit at the intersection of blockchain technology and sustainability and ethical supply chains. I've been in the blockchain space personally since 2012, 2013. So got to see all those really exciting early days playing a lot around with mining and smart contract development, everything like that. I actually had my first blockchain or crypto startup back in 2014, 2015. We were doing actually mobile payments and customer loyalty for like small retailers, local restaurants, things like that. So a bit more on the fintech side. But then it was 2015 through 2017 where I started getting much more involved with blockchain and traceability and sustainability, looking at what blockchain can do for all these global supply chains that we have. And ultimately that led to the creation of Topple with the, between myself and my two co-founders, Kim and James, really in 2017. And the problem that Topple is solving is we are bringing trust and traceability to all sorts of supply chains and marketplaces. We've done everything from tracking and certifying conflict-free diamonds moving from South Africa to jewelers in the U.S. We've tracked CPG products moving from all, all around the world. We've done fair-wage coffee, fair-wage spices being moved from Ethiopia, Indonesia to to grocery stores in Europe and the U.S. Really, anywhere there is a lack of trust or a lack of certainty as to did something actually happen, was something produced sustainably, was something produced you know, by workers receiving living wages. That is where our technology is really trying to, to come in and solve this. So that's really interesting. Blockchain is one of, those, one of those terms that a whole lot of people are talking about. And I, I guarantee you, if I asked to define it, including probably me, I would, I would struggle with defining it. And I guarantee you, most people talking about it don't have a clue. So when I started doing my, my analyst due diligence around blockchain, it seems like a whole ton of the blockchain startups are tied around crypto or doing something around crypto, but not a lot yet, some, but not a lot yet around the more interesting examples of supply chain and things like you're doing. How many um, startups do you think are out there that are really working with blockchain from a supply chain perspective like you are? Do you have a, do you have a sense for that number? Yeah, there's probably maybe a dozen or so, yeah. maybe a bit more that are building supply chain solutions on top of blockchain. But we're actually much more unique is we're actually the blockchain itself. So we went ahead and built our own unique blockchain network and a purpose built or specifically for these types of problems. So we actually work with the blockchain powered traceability applications or those blockchain powered ERP systems that are coming up that are using blockchain technology to solve those problems. And oftentimes the blockchain technology that they're using might be our blockchain technology. So we actually sit 
a level lower in the stack than usually the blockchain for supply chain solutions that you would actually be hearing about. Oh, interesting. Where are we in supply adoption of blockchain and supply chain? It's got to be early in the whole process, right? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we're pretty early for the whole days of blockchain. I think arguments can be made that we're either probably right before the, the dot-com bubble, if we want to use the internet as an analogy. So you're probably right before or maybe right after the dot-com bubble. So some of your big blockchain companies that will survive and will you know, eventually reach the scale of Facebook and Amazon and stuff like that, some probably exist, some probably don't. So we're probably in that late 90s, early 2000s uh, phase to, to draw an internet analogy is what I usually tell people. Well, let's hopefully, uh, let's hope we don't have the the end result of the of the dot com experience, and we just have a nice smooth takeoff for you. The end result wasn't bad; it was just the intermediate. <laughs> well, the way above those prices. Oh boy, oh boy! As, as as an analyst, I sat there, I sat in Silicon Valley and watched that whole thing, and just we lost so many analysts to uh, the whole dot com experience, and watched them go kaboomski. I rode that one out. Where where would an analyst put your solution? Are you considered supply chain or in the classic? bucket of technologies where you know how what space do you want to occupy? we almost and probably most blockchain providers really sit almost along like the cloud infrastructure side or kind of the it side of things we do have though a number of really important key partners actually one of whom we're going to be exhibiting with at nrf mercado labs and basically they are the export import supply chain tracking platform built atop our technology so we absolutely have kind of partners and offerings that fit purely on the supply chain side. But the core of our business and where our identity sits is a bit closer to traditional tech infrastructure. So if I was back in my garden days and I came knocking at your booth and I said, I've got, I've got this whole landscape of retail techs, your choice would be to be blockchain infrastructure. Because I don't know that's a great category yet. It will be. But I don't know is that so you want to be you want to be early on in a bucket as opposed to sliding into a more mature like a supply chain bucket that needs to differentiate for the so the way I actually think about it is I want to know that I want to know who's on that bucket list because the people on that list that you're walking up to me with those are actually the people that we build the partnerships with and those are the people that we gotcha. are powering and enabling so we love that list because that's our list of partners that we want using our tech. As that evolves, you want to be you want to be the infrastructure, which is a good which is a good spot to be in for sure. Who's going to knock on your door at NRF, and then what are you going to tell them? Absolutely. So the door knocks that we get when we're in conversations similar to the ones we're expecting at NRF really are around this idea of making ESG more verifiable and making it more transparent. There's a lot of sustainability claims and ethical practice claims running around. And there's a lot of interest right now in how do I bring more surety to those claims? And that's really the question that when people walk up to us, that's what they're looking for help with. And people are starting to understand blockchain technology as something that can provide verifiability, can provide trust. So it's really, we've got all these claims running around right now, and people want to be able to back those up with something. And that's where our technology, either by itself or in conjunction with some of our partners, that's really where that, uh, where that comes in. So as we evolve this whole solution set in the next couple, three years, and looking at the amount of money that, that, I'm, that I'm seeing in the startup world around blockchain, and not just the crypto piece, but the piece you're talking about, it's, as you, it's increasing dramatically. 
are you going to stay? Because you, you sound like you're in a really cool space. And the examples are con- conflict-free diamonds and sustainability stuff. But are you going to stay in that sort of defined space or is, is the blockchain grows and supply chain solutions grow? Let's just say maybe there's other retailers or whoever maybe don't quite have that same approach that you're looking for. Are you going to grow into that solution or are you going to stay in that space you've defined right now? So I think the core of our business will always remain in that space, but we'll absolutely branch out from there. One of the reasons that we really identified ESG and kind of some of these supply chains that do originate in kind of the more remote or low-tech areas of the global south is just stems from what blockchain can do best. And what blockchain can do best fundamentally is provide trust and provide communication or connectivity where it didn't exist previously. So if we're thinking about a large, well-established grain or wheat supply chain that's purely in the U.S., there's plenty of trust there. There are only large enterprises that are working in that. Everyone's got their big legal departments. Everyone knows exactly what they're doing. There's not as much demand for that increased level of trust. But as blockchain proves itself out in those absolutely lowest trust environments, then obviously all technologies, it basically works its way up that chain, essentially. So for us, it's not saying, oh, we're always going to stay there. It's, wow, this is really the area that most acutely needs the technology. Therefore, it's the perfect entry point to, to prove the technology to, uh, to cut your teeth, so to speak. What do, you, uh, what do you see 2022 looking like for you? So with the back half of 2021 is any indication, we see a lot of We see a lot of acceleration, especially in the ESG space. We are having conversations around cutting and verifying carbon emissions or getting more transparency in supply chains with with partners and customers that, quite frankly, we thought never would have approached these issues. Quite frankly, that we thought caring about these things was on the absolute bottom of their list. I think we're going to just start seeing these things become much more mainstream. So yeah, the technology of blockchain becoming fully mainstream. We're in the earlier days of that. But in terms of this lowering carbon footprints, getting more transparency and traceability into supply chains, getting carbon neutral or low carbon products, people caring about the carbon footprints of the products themselves. We see a big proliferation on that front. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how product lines come back into the market once some of the supply chain difficulties that we've had because of the pandemic really clear up. I think there's always a risk that when people get excited because of some sort of crisis or external factor, it's a question of, all right, once that is passed, do we just go back to the way things were or do we build on that momentum? I think I'm optimistic that we'll build on that momentum, but it's always a question until we see it. I'm an analyst and uh, and I'm, I look at things pretty cut and dried, so I don't have the passion of a startup like you do. But the numbers I'm looking at, I think you're in a pretty strong position from a from an evolutionary perspective. You can define that with the amount of startup money that I'm seeing, the amount of startups per se. I think your piece of that's really interesting and, and kind of unique where I, most of the other players are, would be pretty happy to build a blockchain for anybody. And so that's a really interesting angle that you have. And I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to be missing for business. We have a lot of college kids that, that pop into the the pod. Um, I, I serve on the uh, Center for Retail Transformation at Georgia Mason University. And the question I get asked all the time, and I'm going to throw it over to you to get your insights are, is what advice would you give for a budding entrepreneur? Yeah. So as someone who actually jumped right into this during my own last year of of college, there were, I think, a lot of lessons that I only learned along the way. 
The first one. Those are the best lessons, by the way. They're the most <laughs> expensive <laughs> lessons, but they're the best. Can be expensive. Um, this is one I've I've heard a lot. So this is really just me repeating something that I've learned is incredibly true. You have to fall in love with the problem, and you have to fall in love with the idea of helping a certain group of organizations or a certain group of people get around that. The solution, the technology. Might be really fun, might be really cool, especially for those of us of more of an engineering persuasion, but it's just a tool. Technology is always just a tool. Fall in love with the problem because that will then allow you to be fully creative and just finding the best way to solve it. If you come to a problem with your solution already fully worked out, you might be missing something and you might be missing an an iteration or an improvement that really could take you to the next level. That's definitely one piece. The other piece is I cannot overemphasize how important I have found my own co-founders. I know a few successful solo entrepreneurs who did it in their early 20s. I don't think that's most of us. I think most of us, especially uh, when we're on the younger side of being entrepreneurs, I think finding those co-founders, finding those partners is really important for two reasons. One, it is exhausting. It can be exhausting. It can be really hard to be an entrepreneur. And having those people, having people go through that with you can just really be absolutely an amazing experience to share with people. The other one is when we're young, we're still building out our skills. And there's a lot of skills required to build a company from scratch. Oftentimes, you're not going to find them in one person, but you could very well find them in three. Interesting. And last question, what skills do you use a lot today that you wish you would have paid a heck of a lot more of attention to when you were in, still in college? I don't think there's a college course for this, but how fast a startup can grow, I think, always sneaks up on you. And therefore, how fast 90% of your job just becomes organizing other people really sneaks up on you. We went from seven people this time last year to, I think, 22 or 23 where we're at right now. And so just the idea of being able to, to coach and manage others and dial your own self back to not always offer your opinion because sometimes things are just opinions and restrict yourself a bit more to right or wrong. This has to take my opinion and this doesn't have to take my opinion. The concept of delegating is, I think, hard for entrepreneurs to get through when they start to scale because you can't do everything. You will be a bottleneck for 10 different people all at the same time if you're attempting to do everything. And that letting go and having enough confidence to let go is, is I think, actually, weirdly enough, a skill that does take a lot of practice. My experience around entrepreneurs, um, starting with my father, are type A, hard driving, passionate, and do not listen. So you literally just described almost the exact opposite skill set that most of us think of with entrepreneurs. But yeah, that's a really interesting take. And I, I can certainly see that in working with some of, some of you guys. <laughs> you don't. There's usually one way. I'll listen to you, but I'm not listening to you. I'm already thinking about the next problem. And uh, here's ultimately, you're going to do it the way I want to. That's, that's a really interesting, really interesting angle. Hey, uh, Chris, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Email okay. always works for those of us that still use that. I'm just chris at uh, topple.me. I'm also on Twitter a lot, though, so that's just C and underscore Georgian, my last name, G-E-O-R-G-E-N. So on Twitter a lot, especially uh, crypto Twitter, things like that, but email always works. And what booth are you at at NRF? Ooh, I'm actually not sure about that, to be honest. Okay. We stumped them. We stumped the entrepreneur. We'll have that in the show notes for sure. Well, and I'll add that in, in the little bump into it. Chris, thanks so much for stopping by and sharing us, sharing with you your vision. Very interesting. I do a lot of work in Africa and 
in Congo. So I, I understand a lot of the problems you're battling up against, and I uh, wish you nothing but success in your in, in 2022. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Great. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at ederit.ai. Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.